My dad doesn't know football really well. And Marty's like, hey, is Chad there? No, he just went out. We want him to come to the Chiefs. He's like, okay, who should I tell him's calling? Marty Schottenheimer. My dad's like, okay, how do you spell that? <laughs> um, so he started to spell it. Then he just got ticked. He's like, you just tell him the head coach called, okay? <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We are super pleased to welcome into Studio B once again, NFL All-Pro tight end and current member of the BYU Athletic Department staff, Chad Lewis. Chad, thanks for hanging out. What's up, guys? Two real famous quotes. One, more cowbell. Okay. Two, more violet. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Bring but, it on. Yeah. He's a special player. Do you even know what the gritty is? I didn't know what it was as of this morning. Do you know what that I've is? I've been seeing people dance. This. <laughs> uh, it's, it's almost time to graduate from the gritty and do something else, but it's cool. Okay. I mean, All right. Even Kalani does the gritty when he's excited <laughs> on the sideline. Okay. You know? All right. That's his, that's his style. Okay. I see the dances. I just don't know what, they, what their names are. Chad, what was the desirable dance move in the end zone when you were celebrating a touchdown? Hands up. Just hands up. Bam! Like <laughs> yes. That. When you score a touchdown, it should be like, now it's too orchestrated. It should be like raw emotion. Yeah. yeah. But I don't blame these guys for having something in the bag ready to go. So when you say hands up, I think about Mitchell Jurgen's star man that after cool. he caught that right. pass against Boise State. That was right? sweet. That was yep. pure emotion. That was right? pure emotion. And Mitch Matthews did the same thing in Nebraska. Yes. I mean, that's just like... Bam! That's how it works. <laughs> I've also got to think that there's so much emotion going through you at the moment anyway. Even if you had planned it, you, it probably slips your mind to begin with. That's why you play the game. <laughs> like, if you could buy that type of adrenaline, that's why people are going to crack. I mean, they're, they, they can't find a way to get that same <laughs> explosive piece of emotion going no, through your body. Yes, so, yes. Uh, just, just compete in sports. It's all right, good. That's right. Come Chad, to sports. Yes. Chad Lewis is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Tyler Algier is a rather low-key guy when he's celebrating his own touchdowns, and he did that a lot oh my in gosh. 2021. 23 times. Unbelievable. Just on the ground. What do you think uh, Tyler Algier's expectations should be for the NFL draft I want to hear weekend? his name called today. Me too. I think he can go yeah. today. I think there's a lot of teams that have talked to me how much they like him, and I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm not one of the coaches, I'm, but I've had scouts say, we love that guy. Love his size. He's much bigger than we thought. I love his, uh, what he does in the fourth quarter. So he gets better as the game goes on. He's super humble. And I sat with him, and, you know, Andy, we talked about it before. He told Andy, I'm willing to play whatever special teams. Like, hey, do I need to talk to the special teams coach and tell him? And Andy's like, I think you're going to be all right, bro. <laughs> he said, but, yeah, go talk to the special teams coach. He, you're not going to have to go find him. He'll find you, and it's going to work out just fine. That's his mentality, though. Yeah, I know. He wants to play football, and he says, I'll play linebacker. I don't care. Love it. He's a great running back. He's proven that against the highest quality competition. He's, he's sweet. I'm always fascinated because we hear about scouts talking to people and, and getting information and sharing it back and forth. What type of questions do they ask you guys? That's a good question because these are smart dudes that do their homework. Then you guys tell me why only 50% of first-round draft picks pan out. What in the world? I thought we were doing our homework. <laughs> right? You guys. Right? Wild. Give me one of those first-round draft picks. I will prove to you I'll make the team. So it's really interesting that 50% of top picks even play and thrive and make a name for themselves. How about so, that stat? Whoa. So what teams are looking for is, what is this guy like off the field? What is he like with his teammates? What is he like 
in the huddle? What is he like in the moment? Is he scared to carry the ball or does he want to carry the ball? So those just simple questions, um, they matter to those guys. Chad Lewis on BYU Sports Nation. If Tyler doesn't have his name called, and he told us earlier, he's like, yeah, I'm kind of expecting fourth round, so early Saturday. Do you start, I mean, as a player, when you're going through this, and you were an undrafted free agent, but how do you kind of manage those emotions the longer this thing drags on? As a football player, you want someone to crack the door open so you can kick it in and go play some ball. That might be a free agent. So if you're Samson Akua, um, Neil Pau, James Empey, you know, whoever, it could be as a free agent. There's nothing wrong with going in as a free agent. I think it's to your advantage. Here's why. When you're in the draft, fifth, sixth, seventh round, teams are going to start calling you, and they're going to say, will you come to our camp? You're going to have a list of teams. Now it's your choice where you go. And hopefully you've done your homework. Hopefully you know I knew exactly what quarterback, what offense, what offensive coordinator, and who they had drafted, who was there. So I made the best decision for me to go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. It worked. So these guys are going to have a chance real quickly to decide where they're going to go. In my case, teams were calling. There were 14 teams. One of them was the Kansas City Chiefs. Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. I ran out the door with Michelle just to catch our breath real quick and make a decision. Marty, head coach, called my house. My dad picked up the phone. My dad's had a stroke. My dad doesn't know football really well. And Marty's like, hey, is Chad there? No, he just went out. He'll be back in just a second. Um, we want him to come to the Chiefs. He's like, okay, who should I tell him's calling? Marty Schottenheimer. My dad's like, okay, how do you spell that? Um, <laughs> so he started to spell it. Then he just got ticked. He's like, you just tell him the head coach called, okay? <laughs> so when I got back, my dad told me the story. I was cracking up. It was so funny. <laughs> so, Can you spell Schottenheimer, please? <laughs> I love it. My dad wanted to get it right for me, you know, and I was just like, oh, dad, I love you so much. That's so good. That's so great. So what type of NFL career do you envision for Tyler Algier? An excellent one because he's productive, because he's humble. He's not going to let other things get in the way. Um, Andy Reid's mantra was remove distractions. Tyler does a phenomenal job, and he's demonstrated that here, of removing distractions. When you saw his, his <clears throat> deep blue, yeah. Yeah. you saw here's a guy that has 50 distractions that could sink a normal man. He thrived under those conditions. So whatever DNA he has to be able to thrive under those conditions, that's a real gift. And so I see him having a great career because he can thrive when chips are down, when there's distractions, when there's a million reasons for him to give up and quit. He's not going to do that. Well, the, the two things that really stand out to me about Tyler when I think about him and his career at BYU, one is his durability. He was always available when BYU needed him. He's an Iron Man. The, the other part is yards after contact. You're not taking this guy down on first hit. You're just not. I have to think from an NFL perspective – both of those things would be enticing. I know. The two things about him, yards after contact and his ability to finish. Yeah. Mm. When you think about running backs getting all the way to the end zone from, from a deep run, very few of them can pop it and hit it and finish. He kept doing that through his whole career, whether it was Boise State or Utah State. I mean, those runs where he broke free and they couldn't catch him. Yeah. That was so impressive. Even in the bowl game at UAB. Yeah, that's Tyler Algier. He's got, he's got that gear, even though he's a big dude. Yeah. So he's going to get the yards after yeah. contact, and 
He's got the speed to finish. He's got that suddenness, that twitch. You know, patient, patient, patient. Boom! And then through the hole, right? It is like, it's next level. It's slow to fast through. That's yeah. what running yes. backs say. But the, the sweet thing about him is you talk to him, and you just want to grab his face and give him a hug. Like, he's, he's the sweetest dude ever. I love him. Absolutely. Okay, uh, maybe it's – I think it's probably James Empey. Maybe it's Samson Nakua. But if someone is to have their name called in a latter round, who do you think that would probably be? You probably want to look at the pro day workout that they had. Uh, Samson lit up that pro day workout with times, strength, demonstration of his athletic ability, and then his charisma. You can't bottle his charisma. He's got something so explosive – and you saw that against Utah when we played them this year. Like, his energy was contagious for every member of our football team. That's really a special gift in football. So he plays with that happiness. He just – he's got it. So his pro day was exceptional. James could go. Neil is an enigma for teams. They like him. They're like, man, this is a big dude, but he's so smooth with his routes. He's yeah. got great hands. He's like – there's so many things to love about him too. So I don't know who it's going to be. I hope, I hope they're drafted for their, for their sake. Meaning I hope they get as much money as they can in the NFL as possible. If they go free agent route, there's nothing wrong with that. And they should look at that as that's to their advantage in every way. Step into camp, light that thing up. So last year there was obviously with Zach going number two. I mean the hype around everything was so great, but also you had the number of guys being drafted this year. Certainly one, hopefully two or more. But what do you think should be the norm moving forward as it pertains to the success that the team has? Because obviously the more guys you have getting drafted, that means the players on the team were good, which means the team was likely good. Where do you feel is that sweet spot for the number of guys taken and what that means for the football program in general? Incredible question because when I look way back to 96, we had one player drafted. And we were a team loaded with guys that we ended up playing for a long time, a bunch of us in the league. That was a Tula, right? Yeah. So In the seventh round. Right. I mean, and he's coming off a total knee, you know, ACL, MCL, PCL, LCL. And uh, so, I don't know. But what you do see is when teams start drafting more players, it's indicative of a coaching staff doing a better job recruiting, talent evaluation, a better job with the strength coach coaches through their career of yeah. developing that player. And when they're drafted, it's, it really is a hallmark of your team that you're going in the right direction. That's what you want. Yeah. You want your players to get drafted. And then the next generation, the recruits, do you think they're watching that? You better believe <laughs> Absolutely. Their parents are watching that big time. They want to go pro is your club going to give them an opportunity to go pro. And I think BYU is proving yes. We're an incredible team, incredible coaching staff. We want them to come here and thrive and go to the NFL. That's one of the things, and I, I, if memory serves, I want to say Kalani said it either when he was officially named the head coach or pretty soon after, that that's one of his goals is to get guys to the NFL. And I love the fact that he's being outspoken about that because, I, I mean, I think that's fantastic. That absolutely should be a goal. One of his greatest gifts, and it's a gift, is building culture. Yeah. With culture comes vision, direction. He's able to build the culture that he wants. He's getting very comfortable with who he is as a coach and how he's doing it. And I told him last night in 
he was in the presence of all the coaches in, in Utah. I said, you have such a great gift of building culture. And I think the recruits feel that. They see it. The more wins you get on Saturday, the more people are going to come here and play for BYU. Well, it's no surprise that BYU is pacing to have three, four, maybe five draft picks next year. Got a lot of talent coming back. Chad, so great to talk with you. Thanks, Thanks for hanging out this, uh, during the NFL Draft Weekend and for bringing your energy and charisma Marty to this Schottenheimer. <laughs> That's a great story. It's S-C-H. You just tell him the head coach. It's so What a great story. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, you guys. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Big Game Boomer is at it again. They tweeted out their college football post-spring top 25. And BYU comes into the list sitting at number 22. So what what do we think about this? Too high? Too low? Or just right? Well, looking at 22, and then obviously Utah stands out at number three. I don't think BYU fans love that they are picked as high <laughs> as three. We'll, we'll get to that as well. But I, I think this is probably right for BYU. They are a top 25 team coming off last year, but they do have some unproven positions that they need to fill. Those will be somewhat of unknowns in the fall. So you're running back, your receivers, defensive linemen positions, certain positions that they've got to fill. Those are the unknowns going into the fall. And until we hit the fall, we're not going to know stepping up. But but what I like and I feel like is a constant for this BYU team is their offensive line, how big the line is, how deep the line is. Players like Connor Pay that are coming in, he can play all five positions on the offensive line. A big line, 6'8", 6'8", 6'7". All but one player in Barrington are over 310 pounds. So a lot of depth there. (laughs) Now, with that, you're going to be able to allow Jaron Hall to go to work, right? You can open up the playbook just a little bit with the line that you have. Because of the protection, you're going to be able to run the ball. You're going to be able to pass the ball. And so I think that that line is, is the consistent force. That's why they're still in the top 25 as we look at that ranking. But what are the unknowns that we're looking at as well? Absolutely, I agree. There's a lot to feel confident about in terms of that BYU offense. What I'm really excited about on the other side of the ball is having Keenan Peely back. He injured himself, and we saw him the first three games, and he was huge there. So that's something, as I look to BYU being in that number 22 spot, that I think we can feel really good about and hope that as he comes back and he's healthy, he has that same type of impact. I mean, 31 tackles in three games, that's a pretty big impact. And, yeah, there, there are some question marks, obviously, especially losing Tyler Algier. We hope that this is an opportunity for Chris Brooks to step up. You mentioned sure. the offensive line. Having a strong offensive line gives a lot for Chris Brooks to work with. So that's really what we're hoping there. You know, we do – have some good receivers returning as well. Gunnar Romney, Puka Nakua, Isaac Rex, he's getting healthy. So there's definitely enough to feel good about for BYU to be in that top 25 spot. It's just like you said, just some of those unknowns that some of those question marks we're still waiting to see. Now, again, as you mentioned, Utah at number three, BYU fans, we assume will be on notice about this. I, I was a little that? shocked. I got to say, when when I saw that, and a little surprised, I would say. I wouldn't say it's a head scratcher, but they're a, they're a top twenty five team as well. And and coming off of that Pac twelve championship, they lose in their bowl game, the Rose Bowl, but but they return a lot of good players as well. And so um, Whittingham was quoted saying, seventy two of our eighty five players, our scholarship players, are freshmen and sophomore, and so still young. 
but they have enough crucial pieces that are returning. Their quarterback's coming back. Their running back's coming back. Both pairs of tight ends are coming back. So a lot of talent at that positions that Whittingham loves, but to be third, I think is a little high for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that we're bringing this up because we don't even play Utah <laughs> right? this year, but it's BYU and Utah, so we have to talk about it, obviously. Uh, ESPN of note did put Utah at number four in their way too early top 20 rankings, top 25 rankings. So there are a lot of people who are really high on this Utah team. We do have some opponents that are on that top 25 list. Notre Dame at number eight, Baylor 12, Oregon 13. So this is going to be a fun season for college football. It's going to be a fun season for us as BYU fans. And with some high opponents ranked on that list, it's definitely going to be big and hopefully big in preparing us for the Big 12, obviously. All right, that takes us to topic two. What is contributing to the growth and engagement of women's athletics this season? As as you look at specifically, let's look at the women's basketball NCAA Mm -hmm. championships this year. The attendance and the stream, all of those numbers up. In the national championship game, the most watched game since 2004, and it peaked, the title game peaked at 5.91 million viewers. Wow. That is so impressive. What that shows to me in the big picture of things, is that if there's access, people want to watch. And so I think just providing that platform for these female athletes, for their games to be shown, for fans to have access to it, is huge. And that's something really I feel like we're seeing worldwide. I mean, Real Madrid versus Barcelona women's team, they had 90,000 fans in attendance. So that just goes to show if you can, if you can make it there, you can come and have it make it a great experience. And that's something we saw here at BYU as well. BYU women's volleyball had a couple of top 15 attendance records broken this season in the Smith Fieldhouse. BYU women's basketball, they had a similar situation. They broke their attendance record actually with 6,289 in attendance versus Gonzaga. There's a few things that contribute to this, obviously, access. Fans being allowed in this year, that was so big because we're coming off of 2020 where there was COVID and, right. I mean, there you still is, but fans. you couldn't have fans. Yes. And so now that you can have fans, I think fans were so excited to get back to events. And when you have high-performing teams like BYU has with their women's teams, fans want to come and they want to watch. And they're getting a lot of support as well. Sure. And I, I really think it comes down to two things, and you mentioned some of that. And, and the first one being social media. So the involvement of social media and how it's how it's allowed these players to market themselves. Mm-hmm. So players like Shaylee Gonzalez, Paisley Harding of the women's basketball team, they haven't had to wait for maybe TV, you know, the television contracts to come in and market them or the university to, to market them. But they've done a fantastic job building their platform. They had an established platform coming into BYU, which allowed them then when the NIL opens up and then some of these deals open up, they're able to connect with the fan bases. Absolutely. They are great at branding themselves as it is. Market yourself. And I think that that's been huge for female athletes, being able to market themselves, to come in to a university and know, hey, I can put myself out there, whether I'm waiting for a deal or not, whether it's an NI deal or getting enough exposure on television, I can market myself on social media. I mean, look at TikTok, look at Instagram, look at all of these social media platforms that are allowing these female athletes to take it to another level. Now, the second thing that I think really influences this and that has allowed that engagement 
is the male athletes and their contributions to pushing these female athletes. Yep. Just take the NBA, for example, and some of those big-time players. you got Steph Curry, you got LeBron James, you got Kevin Durant. They're wearing the WNBA players' jerseys. They're coming to support those players. They're pushing them, right? And they're going, hey, what, what's going on with this discrepancy? It's, it's more awareness of the discrepancy in the, two sport, in the two female and male discrepancy. But they're doing things to be able to push those players and say, they're putting in as much time as I am. They should be noticed. They should be watched. They're fun to watch. But I really think it comes down to what fan bases are connecting with these female athletes and how are we getting those connections? Well, and as you said that, it's funny. I was reminded of a conversation I've had with Davide Gardina. I said, what are some of your favorite games to go to? He said, I love football and I love going to women's basketball. They're a yes, team I really I've support. Seen yes. yes, exactly. He goes to a lot of games. And same with Samson Nakua last year. Hey, what games do you love going to? He said, I love going to women's volleyball. So we see that here at BYU as well, where the athletes are supporting each other. And I think that makes a big difference as well. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now is the fabulous Taylor Williams of BYU Softball, left fielder, power hitter extraordinaire. <laughs> Just oh, overall great human thank being. You. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, what's more difficult, a live TV interview thus far or hitting a drop ball from your teammate Autumn Moffat Cole? <laughs> I mean, hitting a drop ball off Autumn is tough, but I would way rather do that than be sitting <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll set you up for success. All right. <laughs> You're from Mona, Utah, correct? Are yes. you the best athlete to come out of Mona, Utah? You know... Probably. Yes. The answer <laughs> is yes, Taylor. A lot of athletes from Mona, so that go D one anyways. So You yeah. were a Juab Wasp, correct? Uh-huh. You hit a ridiculous number of home runs at Juab High School. Okay, and you've got a teammate in Hunter Ava that hit a bunch of home runs at West. Is there some type of rivalry between you two about who is the best home run hitter in high school? No. No, we've not, I didn't even know that like I had the record and then she broke through. I didn't even know that until just barely. So we haven't even talked about her or anything, but <laughs> T has way good power. So I'm not surprised she hit tons of home runs in high school. You're okay that she upset that record. Yeah, yeah that's right. okay, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the magic with the 12 to nothing win over Southern Utah last night? Yeah, um, I think we just came out and we just – took it right to them. We were not going to, you know, give them anything. And um, everyone was hitting the ball really well. So that always helps when you can stack up a lot of hits against a, a team like that. So, yeah. Okay, it's one thing to win one game 12 to nothing, but you didn't give up a run to Southern Utah in three games. You've outscored them 27 to nothing this season. Uh, how does a team pull that off in a game that's very, very finicky and ball can take some weird hops? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I definitely think that Southern Utah is not having their best year, so that's that's tough for them. I know that they're missing their starter pitcher, so that's always hard. But, I mean, pitchers do their job, hitters do their job, and uh -huh. then you can just get the job done. Now, didn't you uh, have a little stint at Southern Utah, Taylor? <laughs> yes, I was there for a year. One year. Uh -huh. Yeah, right? my freshman uh -huh. year. Okay. Uh -huh. When did you see the light? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always 
wanted to come to BYU, and I mean, I didn't get here immediately off the start, but I, I was glad I was able to get here at do some I, point. Do I need to bring this issue up with Gordon Eakin? Like, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you get here, as long as you get here, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Kristen, That's you can relate to that, right? I, I was at Boise State for one year, and then I transferred in, same situation. Right? Uh-huh, you yeah. Saw, you saw the light. They saw the light, more importantly. We're making friendships on BYU Sports Nation. We're building on common ground here. Taylor Williams of BYU Softball is with us. Santa Clara tomorrow. Uh, this is not a position that BYU Softball as a team has been in very often, where you're second place in conference at this juncture of the season. Yeah. In fact, you've known nothing but championships since the team joined the WCC. So what are the emotions like as you try and win the remainder of the games, and now you're kind of scoreboard watching to see what happens with LMU? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit more pressure to it. Like, we need to win the rest of our games, and we are in control of that. I, I mean, as much as you can be, softball's a game of, you know, bad hops and, and whatever, but um, we can't necessarily control if LMU drops two games or not, so we just need to make sure we're doing our job getting um, the rest of the wins yeah. the next nine games that we have in conference, and um, and if the conference championship doesn't work out, we're getting ourselves to a regional, setting ourselves sure. up for that, so... Are you a huge San Diego fan this weekend? San Diego fan? <laughs> playing San LMU. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I, I need them <laughs> to win a game. And, and they're not bad. They, they could take a game from them. Sure. We, we battled you just with played them. them. Yeah. You just played them. Yeah. yeah, they're not bad. So we're crossing our fingers. Okay. <laughs> Torero Sports Nation right there now. There we go. Uh, what is it like to play for head coach Gordon Eakin? What, I mean, give us some of the, some of the favorite moments with him. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Is he tough on you guys? Is he, you know? Coach Egan is very, very nice. Like, probably one of the nicest, most loves everyone coach. He doesn't, he doesn't yell a whole lot. All so, right. when he gets mad, you know he's, he's serious. It's and he legitimate. Likes to, yeah, he likes to joke around a little bit. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if he would want me to say this, but. Yeah, go for it. When we lost to, who did we lose to? New Mexico. New Mexico, yeah. He was like throwing some furniture in the in the locker room. He's intense. I love it. Yeah, so he's very, very passionate okay. and he does not like to lose at all. So okay. we we're always going for wins with him. But didn't it work? Yeah, we came out and the did The rearranging really well. of the furniture. Yeah. We helped. told him next time throw the bigger couch, okay? <laughs> he didn't just, throw just it. Just not you know, at someone, right? Just showing yeah. us. Yeah. Showing us his boss. <laughs> oh, I love that. Taylor Williams on BYU Sports Nation. Let's, uh, we were asking Josh Cowden of BYU Baseball earlier about some of his teammates, so let's go with some superlatives here. Okay, who's the goofiest player in the dugout right now? The goofiest player in the dugout? Oh, I feel like probably Emma. Okay. Emma, freshman, she's a catcher. She's goofy, but she's a ton of fun. Hey, she had a hit recently, and didn't you yeah. reward her with something? <laughs> Well, not me, BYU. Of okay, course. okay. But okay. we were just, you know, in the we went and got ice cream together, and we did a little Instagram. Get a hit, grab some ice story. cream. Yep, yep. She's gotten a couple hits. She's she's doing really good. Emma Andrew Jeske. Yep, yep. Okay. Spencer's referred to you as Queen of Diamonds when you get a hit. What I've heard, right? Have you heard that? No. You're the Queen of Diamonds. Okay, so is, are you the team manicurist? The team oh. manicurist? What's yes, that? These I nails. am. You love to do nails. I am. I do love to do nails. I actually, since school's been out, um, when we went to San Diego this weekend and then SUU and Dixie, I, I brought my nail stuff on the road and I did a couple of toes and a couple of nails. And, you know, yep. <laughs> love to do that. Can we see the nails currently? Do you, okay, you do, do, you, do, you, you do oh, your okay. own? Or do you have somebody um, else do usually. those? Usually. These ones I didn't do. 
on my own, but I should have had my last ones on. I had some awesome Nike ones that I did. Oh, very cool. All decked out Nike, and I'm going BYU on this week when I do them again. So you just you just miss, you know? <laughs> have you ever broken one playing? It it really hurts. It does really hurt. I, I have only done it one time. The yeah. stuff that I use is, like, pretty hard, and so you don't break them very often. Spencer, <laughs> would, would you do Spencer's nails? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, they're pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. Me. She's looking, she's like, uh, like wait, wait, let's uh. see. How do mine look right now? Okay, yeah, I could use one. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Taylor is assessing fingernails now. I on do, the desk I am always looking. B. I do notice if the girls have a chip or one's gone. Let me fix missing. that for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I notice all the time. <laughs> You're a fantastic teammate, you know that? <laughs> What's the scouting report on Santa Clara? Because on paper, they're RPI 220. You are 44 last I checked. BYU is supposed to win these games, but, you know, it's softball. Anything can happen. So what's the scouting report on handling Santa Clara? Yeah, I, I haven't – they haven't given us one yet, so I don't know exactly. I mean, I haven't heard that they have a super strong pitcher. They should be like a subpar team. Like, we should definitely take it to these guys. But I don't know if they have a especially good pitcher or especially good – Hitting team, I, I, I'm not really sure, actually, but um, definitely a team that we should beat. Sure. Yeah. Do you focus on that a bunch? Like when you're preparing for a team, like let's say that you, it's it's Oregon or Arizona State. Like, yeah. Do you focus on them more or is it still kind of just like, no, nah, I'm just going to do what I can do? Like, Yeah, do we definitely, we definitely like prepare, try to prepare for pitchers um, pretty well and like, the coaches are more in charge of, like, defense-wise if, like, a team bunts or, like, Eakins moving us in the outfield or the infield according to where, like, they're more likely to hit it and stuff. But it's hard because just because they were throwing that way against one team doesn't mean they're necessarily going to throw the same way to you or to you as a specific hitter because everyone has different weaknesses. So I take it and I try and let it help me, but I also just have to have my own plan and what I'm going to do. As you evaluate yourself, sometimes that's hard to do, evaluating yourself, right? Yeah. What do you feel like your strengths are, and what are your personal goals to finish out the season? Yeah. Um, <sighs> um, definitely personal goals, just, like, have a good, solid finish. I, I want to um, – I, I as a two-spot, I bunt a lot, and I want to get all my bunts down, help the team move runners. And, you know, it's not – I'm not always up there just to – be getting a hit like I need to get bunts down and I just need to do my job move runners um so I just want to make sure that I finish strong that way and um definitely would love to hit another home runner too yeah. that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but those don't come easy so um <clears throat> strengths as a player you're fast right yeah yeah I can Speed. run bases really well sure. I feel like so yeah I I think that I am a good base runner I can see when people step out of the circle we can advance if someone steps out of the circle so I'll do that on a fly if I ever see it the coaches help me out with that though too they're they like prep the umpires for me oh yeah if oh, I yeah. get on base and the girl looks like they're doing it they tell the umpire hey is this girl like stepping out like what's the rule on that and so then I can get to second um super easy um but, yeah, other than that, I just feel like I can – I'm trying to make sure I let things slide off. You know, you have a bat at bat, and you just have to come up to the next one and be like, I don't even remember what happened in my first right. one, you know? Short term. So, yep, All right, Taylor, we're going to do our part. You have uh, graced us with your presence, so we're going to give you some BYU Sports Nation karma, okay? Okay. The deal <laughs> is luck. you come on the show, you play better. It's just how it works. Perfect. It's I a love scientific that. fact. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, You're thank awesome. you for having me. Best of luck, for sure.
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Now, this whip is featuring some of our legacy women here at BYU. So, it only makes sense to start with Elaine Michaelis. Absolutely. Yes, she is the reason for so much that has happened here at BYU. There's a reason the Smithfield House Court is named after her. She was the executive director of women's athletics from 1995 to 2004. Not only that, but she was the head coach for a time of women's basketball, women's volleyball, women's field hockey, and softball. As a coach, she was 356 and 37. That's wild. That's That's a 906 win percentage. Uh, And I just love her energy and what she brings, not only in what she did when she was here at BYU, but what she's continued to do on the sidelines. That's right. And just supporting people and being a fan at at women's. The longevity of her impact is going to be huge, and it continues. Yeah, it has been huge, and it continues to be huge. She helped 18 players earn 51 All-American awards. She's won 23 conference championships. She is absolutely fantastic, and it's great to, yeah, have her on the sidelines still so often. All right, let's look at a family that has contributed to that legacy here at BYU. How about the Hampson family? Mother-daughter trio. So you've got Teresa Spaulding Hampson, an All-American in the 80s, and you've got her daughter, Jennifer Hampson, Sarah Hampson, a generation, a generation that drew attention. The one, two, three on the career blocks list, a combined 1,306 blocks between those three players that played women's basketball for BYU. Many years of being a part of the women's basketball program. They've come a long way, had different ups and downs throughout the program. They have continued to support the program, feed the program with their daughters, obviously, but what a feat. Amazing woman. Absolutely. And what's so fun is if you talk to Sarah Hampson about this, she'll say, well, I did get an extra year, so, you know. <laughs> almost she, caught her mom, but Yeah, did she not. almost caught her mom. Passed her sister. But she was so humble about it. Yes. You'd think they'd be really competitive. I'm sure they are, but the Hampson family, they're absolutely fantastic. All right, next up, Jen Rockwood. She's been the head coach of BYU women's soccer since the start of the program in 1995. That may or may not be uh, longer than I've been alive. She has 17 <laughs> conference titles. She's taken her team to 23 NCAA tournaments, including, of course, we remember the most recent run to the national championship game. Now, it was a goal of hers to move the national championship game from a Sunday to a Monday, and if anyone can do it, she changed it. She changed the culture, she did. right? Yep. She is amazing, and what she's been able to do, you think about the players she's had come through her program, and now those players are going out influencing other players. They are. They're taking the knowledge they've learned from Jen Walkwood and applying it, whether they're in high school, whether it's their own kids, whether it's, you know, little little kids that they're coaching, it doesn't matter, but they're going to influence them for the good because of what Jen Rockwood has done for them during this program. Absolutely. All right, Carolyn Billings, one of my favorite people in this entire world. She was a trainer for me. She has taken over as head trainer. She is absolutely fantastic. The director of sports medicine since 2010, following her former mentor, Gay Merrill, athletic trainer since 1995 with the Cougars till present, graduated from BYU in 1993. She earned her master's in 1995 as well. She has treated thousands of athletes that have come through BYU. Her influence 
and the oversee care of these athletes so crucial and I think not acknowledged enough to keep them on the court, to keep them on the field, to keep them healthy from nutrition plans to recovery after surgeries. I had four knee surgeries, three of which here at BYU, and she was instrumental in keeping me on the court, helping me get back on the court. And still to this day, we go to lunch. I absolutely love her and the influence she's had on BYU. And so many BYU athletes know who she is, but it's so important to bring it up in this broadcast because of the type of impact that she has. Okay, Jody Maxfield. Now, she has been, she was head coach of the Cougarettes for 30 years. Last year was her last year. She retired after the 2021 season. Jody, she is so fun. She would always come up to me on the sideline, just tell me how much she loved having a woman there. She is, she's, she's great, truly. She has tw- led the Cougarettes to 22 national titles and. <laughs> They make it look easy. She is such a great coach, and she has had such a big impact on that team. She's coached, She coached them for so long, and she really has put them in a situation where so many dancers know they want to come to BYU because you're likely going to win a national championship. Absolutely. She made it seem easy. Fantastic. All right, let's look at a few other things that aren't on our legacy list, but we're going to talk about how about Matt Miller's mock draft release this morning. He had Tyler Algier as the fifth-round pick. 151 to Atlanta. Is this fair to compare where he has been on other mock drafts? You know, it's so interesting because there's so many different mock drafts that come out. Sure. The highest he's been is 77th. So obviously this is significantly lower than that. Um, what I will say with Tyler is just knowing him and the type of player right. he is, as soon as he's on a team, he's going to make – he is going to impress them. I mean, we saw his journey here at BYU, him playing linebacker. So, truthfully, for me, I kind of like Tyler having this underdog type of feel because it makes it so fun when he goes out and proves himself. Give him some fire. Which, right? is, which is what he yeah, does. Yeah, and I think he's versatile enough. He is. To be able to come in and be in whatever role they need him to play. Yeah. He showed that at BYU. Yeah. And he has the size. I think he has the speed. And he's been able to – to show himself well, but to be an underdog, I think it fuels the fire a little bit. That's what I think. I think I see that, and I think oh, Tyler will show him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. Last men's basketball season, the Big 12 ranked the Big 12 was ranked 30 points higher than any other major conference in average Ken Palm rankings. What does BYU men's basketball need to do to prepare outside of bringing on stronger talent? How do they need to prepare for the Big 12? Well, for number one, they're hitting that, that transfer portal really hard. Yes. And that's a given. And some people like it, some people don't like it, but it's it's a part of the game. And it's not going anywhere. And so I think that Mark Pope has to tap into that, as well as just being able to bring some of these younger players there's been a mix-up. Obviously, Chris Burgess leaving. There's been a mix-up of players leaving. And, and le- like, Caleb Lohner's a big hole that they're going to have to fill. So fill some roles. And if that transfer portal can maybe bring in a few players that will gel well with next year's squad coming in, that's going to give them a lift, I think. Absolutely. And we've seen that happen in the past. We've sure. seen Alex Barcelo come yep. from the transfer portal. Transfers so. are a part of the game. Absolutely. So using that to BYU's advantage, for sure. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio.
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We are so excited for our next guest, Senior Associate Athletic Director, Liz Darger. Now, Liz, you are an extremely busy woman, and yet not only are you here on set with us, but you found time to somehow come early. I mean, how do you manage your time? There is no way that I would miss this. You know what they say, (laughs) if you want something done well... You put the Relief Society in charge. Right. And so there was no <laughs> way I was going to miss there this. There you go. Day, from making ever. the food, from being on task, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah, completely yep. agree. Yep. All right. You're the Senior Associate Athletic Director, the Senior Women's Advisor here at BYU. How would you describe those roles? What does that entail for you here at BYU? Uh, how long's your show? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be brief. Uh, there, there are a couple different aspects to, to, to my job. One of them is to be a sport administrator for a number of our, our men's and women's sports. Uh, and then in addition to that, I oversee a lot of the internal operations of the department. And so the senior associate athletic director, that's the job title. The senior woman administrator, that's actually an NCAA designation that's given to the, the, the highest ranking woman in, in every athletic department in the country. And with that comes some responsibilities directly from the NCAA. Um, um, one of them being to help keep an eye on gender equity. Now, the highest-ranking woman in the athletic department. What experience and how did what experiences do you have, and how did you get to this point where you are now? I, I kind of had an interesting journey. I, I went here as an undergrad at BYU, didn't play sports here, uh, but but played a lot of intramurals and watched a lot of watched a lot of great cougar sports, and then uh, went into high school coaching and did that that for a, a, a long time and was a high school counselor. Really loved that. Also coached club basketball and then uh, coached at the Division One level at Utah Valley University for six years and then moved over here into administration. So Tom Holmel took a big chance on me, bringing me over directly from coaching, uh, but uh, I've absolutely loved it, just finishing up my seventh year here. Uh, and really along the way in my career, it's been as a result of nudges from a lot of great women and men that have nudged me to, to get out of my comfort zone and try things that I wasn't sure that I could do. Uh, and it's turned out really well for the most part along the way. So I'm, I'm really grateful and, and I try and do the same and nudge, especially young women and young men as well, along as you see potential in them to make sure to tell them that and uh, because I've been a product of the nudges of others. Sure. I think you've done a fantastic job here as I've worked here for now 16 years. A lot of those years being alongside you and some of the other females in this BYU program, but as you look at the different hats that you wear, and we talked a little bit about it, but you also, you're involved in a lot of different things where student athlete welfare, the gender equity, and the campus Title IX liaison. Tell us how that has been to support the female athletes in this program and where you've seen the growth come. It's been wonderful. You look at at programs across the country and, and BYU women's athletics, has, has been strong for so long. You you mentioned uh, just in the earlier segment all these these great women that have really paved the way. But we are in this moment right now of success of women's athletics that is so fun to be a part of. And so really, as I liaison with different areas of campus and as I liaison and represent BYU around the country, it's just really fun. And uh, it just makes me proud to be able to represent our female student athletes, uh, our our coaches of our our women's teams. Uh, I I, I love it because people see the great things that are happening on the court, on the field, um, but also the great things happening in the classroom, in the community. And so it's, it's, it's really easy to represent them because they are 
all they're representing all of us so well. A lot of growth, but as you as you've looked at the Title Nine, what's been the biggest issues maybe that you face to being that liaison? So I, I feel like with um, with gender equity, and and I think your your segment with Tegan was was really great. She's done a lot of great work. When Title Nine was passed, just, uh, you know, in 1972, it really did increase the opportunities for uh, for women in terms of participating in athletics, and we we saw that at BYU in terms of um, better funding and opportunities. Uh, but there are still some gaps in terms of uh, how the how funding happens and and treatment of 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 women's athletics. And so those are areas where where across the country we still see some of those uh, those inequities. And and at BYU we're we're doing a lot to to put in resources to make sure that that our our men and our women student athletes feel they have everything they need to be successful. And so I, I really feel like we're doing a, a, a great job. And and there are areas that we can improve as well to to make sure that again every single student athlete here feels they have all the resources they need to be successful. In terms of those areas, where do you think the biggest potential is for growth in regards to Title IX? You know, I think there'll be some interesting things as we transition to the Big 12. There'll be a lot of changes um, just in terms of even things like how we how we travel. Our travel will be very different. In the West Coast Conference, a lot of our travel has been to California. Now we'll be going all over the Midwest and and, uh, and out east. Uh, and so we'll be we'll be looking at things of how we can make sure that we um, that we provide a travel experience for our student athletes that that is conducive to them missing the least amount of class, traveling in, in, in comfort to where they can be ready to go to be successful on the court, on the field, um, and also in the classroom. And so, so that's an area that we're examining, and it's a perfect time going to the Big 12 anyway to examine those things across our teams. Um, it, you know, Tegan talked a little bit about putting in resources and how we promote our teams, and so there, there are things there. We've, we've seen so much success with, uh, particularly recently with women's volleyball, women's soccer, and, and how much fans have gotten behind those programs. And we've seen it this year with women's basketball increasing. Uh, gosh, I hope people have come out to watch women's softball. They are, they are just such a successful program. Uh, women's uh, track and cross country, women's tennis, women's golf. I mean, it goes on and on and on how our programs are doing. And so as we put in resources to uh, help fans know about our programs and, and tell those stories, then, then we find that fans follow suit and they come and they want to support our, our women and they want to uh, get to know them better. So uh, back when I played, I would have loved to have those... Uh chartered flights that would have been huge for me I'm just saying but as you've worked with different coaches and different um, females in the program with BYU different athletes what's been some of your favorite moments in working with these female athletes Oh goodness, there are so many of them, and I, I I would say something from the past year that was really neat was was just being a part of women's soccer and that great run to the national championship game. Something that was neat to see about it was you talked about Jen Rockwood and you talked about uh, she started this program, and so to watch her and to be a teammate with her as she went through the season and then the NCAA tournament and getting to the College Cup and getting to the national championship game was just remarkable and so fulfilling. Uh, but then also these student-athletes. And this crop of student-athletes, they have been through COVID. They've been through a couple of really rocky, rough years. And so then to watch our women's soccer team come out of it so successfully, uh, to rally around. We, you know, we had, we had 18-year-olds that had just graduated from high school, and we had you know, 23-year-olds that were in their sixth or seventh year of eligibility. And to watch those women gel together toward a common goal uh, and to watch Cougar Nation rally around them, 
oh, that was, that was, I mean, I don't know that that will be topped. And then obviously we've had national championships. So watching, you know, Whitney, Whitney Orton and watching, um, you know, women's cross country a couple of years ago, watching, you know, last year with, with Courtney and, um, and with Anna, there, there have just been so many highs, so many highs, but really for me, it's when you can combine watching the highs of them being successful in their sport, but then also seeing them just absolutely uh, just nail it in terms of life and academics where they are living great lives and they are healthy and happy and uh, and living lives of meaning. So to see all of that wrapped into these great student athletes, for me, that's that's the that's the pinnacle. It's great to hear your perspective from your role and the support that you give them. We've talked about so many different hats you wear, but you're also West Coast Conference ex- on the West Coast Conference Executive Council, WCC Championship in Sport Administration Cabinet, NCAA Common Ground Leadership Team. You do so many things. What are you, as you look at all these different positions, what is it about you do that, about what you do that makes you really proud? You know, that's a, that's a hard question uh, because really it, it, it's, it's really not about about me at all. It's about these incredible people that I get to associate with. And so as I, as I look at all the different roles, I just feel a lot of gratitude that I get to interact with um, just remarkable people at every turn. And that starts with our student athletes. They are truly just, I am so impressed with them. These are young people that are balancing so many things and they do it with such grace. And so to be able to be a part of their journey, I just uh, feel gratitude and feel really humbled by that. And then to work with our coaches and work with our, we have so many remarkable coaches that are leading great programs. And then all the employees that are behind the scenes that Cougar Nation doesn't really hear about. Um, To be able to just rub shoulders with them uh, I just I just feel absolute gratitude. And I and I think any pride that comes um, is is really in just seeing um, seeing these student athletes really live out their dreams um, and 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 maybe, you know, thinking that maybe I had some tiny part in, in helping give them support or encouragement along the way. But really, it's about them, not not about me. Absolutely. And it's so fun for us too, just to watch them and the success of these women's programs and we thank you for everything you do you're on our legacy list you are you are on no, there no. as an interview too <laughs> <laughs> absolutely thank well thank you so much liz we appreciate you taking awesome. time to join us hey, way to make history thanks yeah. for letting me be a part you. of it. i love We're making about history, history. Absolutely. Love it. thank you the best of byu sports nation we'll be right back Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. All right, as promised, we are discussing not just the current NFL draft and Tyler Algiers prospects, but why not spin it forward a little bit? One year from now, who is the guy from BYU football that we are all going to be talking about as the best draft prospect? Kristen, in your opinion... And there are a handful of guys that it could be. BYU's in a good position. There's a reason they're a projected top 25 team in the preseason because they got a bunch of future NFL guys on the roster right now. But who's the number one draft prospect for next year? A lot of talented players. We talked about four of those players, one of which, obviously, you have to include Jaron Hall. Of course. Um, And I like what he does. I think he brings a lot of different traits that NFL scouts would be looking for. But his challenge has been, can he stay healthy? Can he stay on the field this year, up his stock in the NFL draft? Yeah. But 
if I'm looking at this and going, who's it going to be? I got to go with the lineman. I'm going to go with Blake Freeland. Ooh. I think historically BYU has had linemen go in the draft, and then they're getting back to that now. Absolutely, uh, started in 12 for 12 games, six foot eight, 305 pounds, a returner that has experience on the line. He's a freak athlete. Yep. And this is a player who fifth overall last year out of all the offensive linemen in pass blocking grade via PFF. Second highest graded tackle to Wake's Zach Tom. Mm. And Zach Tom, who's expected to go in the third or fourth round this year. So if Blake does not improve at all and kind of does steady Eddie like he did this last year and, and not a lot of improvement, then he's a third or fourth round pick. But if he improves, yeah. we're going up. Okay. I like that pick. And I know it's not a popular one because it's a lineman, sure, right? It's, a lineman. It's, it's not as exciting as a quarterback or a skill position player. But Blake Freeland's kind of been dubbed the next Brady Christensen. And Brady's athleticism jumped off the charts at his pro day. I mean, people were freaking out about his shuttle and his vertical leap. And they're like, how is a dude this big doing those things? Blake's probably going to better those numbers. He's going to have better numbers than Brady at and NFL pro day. And we talked about this. Brady was a third-round pick. Yes. Brady's a third-rounder. So what's the ceiling for a guy like Blake Freeland? If, if he has an outstanding season, maybe we're talking about him as a second-round pick. Okay. Right now, I'm going to go with my guy, Cam Meller, of, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's been with us for a long time. He might as well be our BYU Sports Nation NFL draft expert. <laughs> he was so early on Zach Wilson, and we saw what happened with that, Zach becoming the highest draft pick ever in BYU football history sure. at number two last year. And he called it out quick, and we were like, whoa. He was, like, saying things after Zach finished his junior season and or sophomore season sophomore. And, and wasn't even the – sure thing starter at BYU, but he's like, no, no, that dude, that dude is special. He's saying a lot of the same things about Jaron Hall. And I like the comparison of Jaron Hall to Russell Wilson. People tried to compare Zach Wilson to Russell Wilson. I was like, eh, Zach, I can see a little bit, but to me, Jaron is a lot like Russell Wilson, smart runner, probably faster than Russell Wilson. Um, and he's really worked on his, at, like, not just his athleticism, but his accuracy. We saw a lot of that last year. And it's worth noting that Jaron played a number of games last year, high-profile games, Kristen, not healthy. He was running around on a gimpy foot and that's a gimpy the ankle. Challenge. Come on I, now. That is the challenge, Spencer. Can he stay right? healthy? And, and that's what we said is I think that stock goes up if he can stay on the field and have an entire season where he's healthy. Here's his numbers from last year where he was tw- over 2,500 passing yards, 20 pass touchdowns. He had five interceptions. Look, I pulled the numbers from Zach Wilson's sophomore year. He had 23, over 2,300 yards, 11 touchdowns, nine interceptions. But then you go to Zach Wilson's junior year. Oh, the jump, the jump. Yes, over 3,600 total yards, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that Jaron has in that argument against Zach Wilson. Jaron did that against a much more difficult sure. schedule. absolutely. Against seven Power 5 teams. Yeah. And BYU won six of those games, obviously, and went 5-0 and against the Pac-12. Worth noting because it's the Pac-12. But Jaron, according to Cam Meller, is a potential late first-round pick, if not early second-round pick. What's the ceiling for Jaron Hall? There's less room to move up because he's kind of already there in some draft experts' opinions. But it's going to be kind of a tight race between, I think, Jaron Hall and Blake Freeland as to who can rise the, the most. Like, if Jaron has just an outlandishly good season, 
are we staring at another first round draft pick out of BYU at quarterback? There's definitely potential there. Who else do you throw in the mix? I mean, we, Puka Nakua, I think you got to throw in there. Absolutely. We had Peyton Wilgar in there. So Peyton is an interesting case because two years ago, um, we had a couple of guys come on the show and say, that dude is an NFL linebacker for sure. sure. And with all the injuries last year to Keenan Peely and the way that the defense had to shift, Peyton was put into some positions that were not his strongest suit. So he had to do a lot of things. So he took a little bit of a dip just by necessity of what had to happen for the BYU defense. Get him back to his normal status. Peyton Wilgar is going to be an NFL player. To me, he feels like a mid-round NFL draft pick. I agree. Probably a fourth or a fifth-round guy. He will get picked, but uh, it's going to take – it's hard for a linebacker. I mean, even Fred Warner, for crying out loud. Fred, all-pro Fred. Some people think he's the best linebacker in the NFL. He was a third-round pick. Okay, it's just tough. It is tough. Like, you have to be crazy. You have to be Thibodeau from Oregon to be a guy that – and he – I mean, he might play on the line. Like, who knows where he's going to play. He's a crazy athlete. But you've got to be so good as a linebacker to get higher than a mid-round pick. That's a tough position. It it is. For sure. And like you said, when you're shifted around, right, it takes an adjustment for just a little bit. And so if he's in a comfortable spot, I mean, he he was a player that started in 10 of 10 games played. But this is a player also returns with some a lot a lot of talent, a lot yes. of ability there, and then the strength of playing in games, getting reps last year, carrying into this year. Peyton, when healthy, watch out. Uh, you mentioned Puka Nakua. Puka feels like uh, mid to late round pick right now. Uh, obviously, a deep threat, incredible ball skills. Like his reach, his radius is really, really impressive. But there's one other player that we have not mentioned that we probably should throw in there just because he is a five-star recruit, and that is Kingsley Suamataia, who is competing with Blake Freeland, maybe, for that left tackle position. It's, it's Blake's. I think okay, it's Freeland's. It's Blake's. Yes. But anytime you got a five-star recruit, you're going to have to and you're put like, him in the hey, mix. And you're like, hey, you got to sit behind Blake. Like That's right? the level that's... that Blake is right now. <laughs> Kingsley's a really good player. I know that Kingsley's helping to have an expedited tour, if you will, at BYU, where it's like, hey, I, I want to show that I can play this year against the top-tier competition. Uh, he can go out and make a name for himself. Does Kingsley Suomataia also decide to throw his name in the NFL draft? If mix? anything, it's going to push Freeland as well, right? Sure. It's going to push some of these Selfishly, I'm like, hey, Kingsley, take it easy, man. Like, keep it here. Be away for a couple of years. Let's yep. have a great time. Yep. Stay close to your family. It's going to be okay. Um, but, I mean, we were talking about the five draft picks that BYU had coming out of the 2020 season. Like, wow, when is BYU ever going to have that many draft picks again? led by Zach Wilson and Brady Christensen, and they had three picks in the seventh round. Is next year the year that BYU could equal that? Like, is it crazy to think that BYU could have as many as five draft picks? They got to win. They got to win. And individually, obviously, these players have to do well, but they also got to win games. Man. The challenge has been issued. Yeah. Time to step up and keep things rolling. All right, Chris, on to topic two. Topic two. Here we go. John Rothstein reported yesterday that UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston are planning on beginning season – in the 2023-2024 competition of the academic year. The same year as BYU. Okay. Okay. So AAC Commission Mike Arisco said the following. No agreement has been reached to permit the three, UCF, Houston, or Cincinnati, to leave early. Our negotiations are continuing. 
So the exit is not finalized. Arisco said it's been an am, am, excuse me, am, amicable process so far. That's a word that's tough today. Amicable. <laughs> amicable. The word of the day as dubbed by Kristen <laughs> Kozlowski. Come back to that one as well. So, Spencer, either BYU enters the conference with 11 teams mm-hmm. or 14 teams. Mm-hmm. What's the better situation? <laughs> This is, we're splitting hairs here, right? It's just awesome to be part of the Big 12 conversation. There is some type of, like, pride value, I'm sure, for BYU fans. Like, well, we get to be the first team in for a year. Like, we'll be part of an 11-team Is there pride in that, And we'll have a year before (laughs) San, or sorry, UCF and Houston and uh, these other teams get in Cincinnati, get into the big 12. So maybe there's an advantage in that. Like, are they, are they accelerated by a year in in terms of adapting to the conference? Like, I don't know. Right. I don't see much of an advantage. Uh, it, it would be fun to see the big 12 have to adapt to an 11 team schedule. And then all of a sudden the next year, change change it up again. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I kind of get a kick out of some of the chaos that's involved there, but let's be honest. It's probably going to be 14 teams. I think I agree. And uh, as of right now, BYU has no one in their conference. So this is a step up. <laughs> and you always want friends. Yes. You want more friends to more play. More the merrier, right? right? Come on. So uh, this is going to be a step up either way with 11 or 14. And, and I agree. I don't know that it really matters. No. Yeah. I, again, it's like, hey, we were the first in. We, got, we have a year of an advantage compared to those three other schools. Yeah. yeah whatever. Uh, Mike Oresco, again, great businessman. Said that's what that he's earlier. doing, though, right? Like, he's able to do this and kind of put some pressure on them and say he's got the leverage to throw if, that out yes, there. Yes, if you want to expedite this process, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, you got to pay the full fee, which if you don't give them 27 months advance notice that you're leaving the conference, it's $10 million. Right. So uh, the AAC is probably going to be $30 million richer in a few short months, if not a few short weeks. At least they'll have that guaranteed money coming. And then the Big 12 has their 14-team conference, and we're going to get the first schedule in October. So, so at the latest, October, they have to decide. They've, they've got to know before right? that, like, if they are positioning for an 11-team yep. schedule or a 14-team schedule within the Big 12. I, and they, we and think they it's going to be 14. They should decide sooner than that. This is Oresco just saying, I'm not having to cave. You guys are going to have to Yeah, cave, figure right? it out. Figure it out. You want to leave, pay us, yes. then get out of my hair and go do your thing. Whatever. Yeah. Go, go. We'll keep being the Power Six Conference. Uh, that's a conversation for another day. Yes. But, yeah, no advantage. I just, I just want to see the divisions. I'm getting a little bit impatient here. So may as well just get it to 14. Like, I prefer, like, let's go all 14. Give me the divisions so that we know where BYU is going to be in the Big 12 East or the Big 12 right. West or let's is it the Big 12 initially. North and South? Yeah, yeah. let's sure. just – Let's just push forward, get it done, and then have that all set by October. And we're looking ahead to a Power 5 schedule for the first time in BYU history in, you know, about five months. That's wild. It's coming quick, for sure. Holy cow. Time to narrow down the schedule in 2023 for BYU football. The Cougars will be in the Big 12 in 2023. Did you know that, Jason? Oh, I knew it. Yeah. You felt it in your bones, which is why you were the guy that was pubbing that for the last decade, mostly on this show. I wrote it in my book of remembrance the day that it happened. It's a question of now whether or not BYU will play nine games in conference or eight. We asked former Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby what it was going to be, and he said, I'd like to keep it at nine. So we're just anticipating that it's going to be nine games for BYU in the Big 12. Nine games, Mrs. Bueller, nine games. In year number one. (laughs) You know you know, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which means BYU has three games left to fill 
in non-conference play. But they have four left on the schedule, Jason. Tennessee in Provo. That's never happened. At Arkansas. That's never happened. Southern Utah in Provo. And then BYU at Maverick Stadium in Logan, Utah for a rivalry game at Utah State. If you can only keep three of the four, who does not make the cut? Yeah, this one is kind of interesting, and it all really depends on what you value. Are you valuing the opponent? Are you, a value, are you valuing the ability to get more victories before you go into conference play? It really kind of boils down to that. This is how I view it. This is what I would put importance on. You've obviously already played at Tennessee. Yes. You have an opportunity to get Tennessee finally to return that trip back to Provo. Yep. That, that's an SEC team coming to your building. No brainer for me. You do not get out of that game. Having an SEC team like Tennessee coming to Provo is a big deal. Well, Mississippi State is the only SEC yes. team ever yep. in the history of BYU football that has played in Provo. So for me, I'm keeping Tennessee. And for the same reasons, although I'm not talking about coming to Provo, you don't get rid of playing Arkansas. The, the opportunity to go to Arkansas – yeah. Is is a big deal. Well, sure. And BYU gets Arkansas at home this year. Yes. So so you're you gotta make good on yeah, the deal. Yeah, you can't have them come here and then not go there. So right right now, I'm keeping Tennessee, I'm keeping Arkansas. But then I also the other part of me is like, okay, but you also want to make sure that you're not doing too much before you jump into Big Twelve play. So for me, that screams you keep Southern Utah. Okay. Sorry, T Birds. Uh, and then you get rid of Utah State. Because between Utah State and Southern Utah, Utah State is the tougher team. And that game's at Maverick Stadium. Listen, Jason, that's a rough road trip. Anything north of Ogden is just absolutely brutal. Yes. It's, well, it all, isn't everything north of Ogden still Ogden? <laughs> that joke's still funny? I, <laughs> I'm laughing right now. So, so for me, I'm keeping Tennessee, I'm keeping the road game at Arkansas, and then I'm keeping Southern Utah and I'm dropping Utah State. And and look, if you're if you're not keeping one of the Tennessee and Arkansas games, then I'm fine keeping Utah State sure. and dropping Southern Utah. But if you're going with both, like I would be in this scenario, I'm dropping Utah State and going again. Sorry, the easier team in Southern Utah. Yeah, the opportunity to have two SEC teams on the same schedule and to uphold your end of the deal, specifically with Arkansas, and then get the payback from having played at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville and already done the white checkerboard and orange with uh, the volunteers and all that hoopla and then the Mike a miracle. Like, you want that game back. Right. Yeah, BYU already paid their dues to go on the road to earn that home game with Tennessee. And if I'm being completely honest, I know Tennessee. They've got huge football players, one of those SEC lines. They seem to be getting a little bit better. They're trending in the right direction. That's a winnable game for me when I look at BYU's schedule in 2023. I don't think, oh, man, no way BYU's going to beat Tennessee and Provo. Come on. Like, BYU fans probably expect BYU to win that game based on what's happened recently with BYU against Power 5 opponents. So keep the game against Tennessee. Hold up your end of the deal at Arkansas. And then, yes, you absolutely need a break. Now, of note, the game against Southern Utah is scheduled for Saturday, November 18th. I am guessing, and this is pure conjecture on my part, that BYU is moving or will attempt to move that November 18th game against Southern Utah to September 9th or September 23rd. Maybe they have a bye between Tennessee and Arkansas. They play one game, sit out a week, and then they play Tennessee. Makes some sense. Or they play Tennessee, they play Southern Utah, 
So they have two home games, and then they go on the road at Arkansas before you open up Big 12 play. Maybe the buy is on September 23rd to give you two weeks to get set for Big 12 play. That's what I would do. And I like the series with Utah State. I like in-state rivalries. I think they are fun games. It's why jokes that we bring up are funny to us and super annoying to the other fan base. And Utah State has stupid jokes that they think are funny that we find annoying as well. Like I like those things, but in this scenario, Utah State is the odd man out. It just does not make any sense unless BYU only plays an eight-game Big 12 schedule and it to just keep the Aggies on yeah, the schedule. And it doesn't feel like that's the direction it's going. By all accounts, and you alluded to this, by all accounts, it feels like it's going to be a nine-game conference schedule moving forward in the Big 12. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be eight, especially with 14 teams. I would imagine you will play six teams, well, the five te- six teams in your division, right? Because yes. two seven-team divisions, yes. right? So you'll yep. play... Every team in your division every year, yep. and then you will play three, three of, of the, the other half, and, and that will, will rotate yep, it'll flip every, other, every year. other year. Yep, it just makes too much sense. Yep. So plan on a nine-game schedule there, and then hey, sorry Utah State, but it it just needs to be Southern Utah so BYU has some type of breather because that is going to be an absolutely brutal schedule. Which is why, deep down, I hope. I hope that Jaron Hall is like, you know what, I, I want to play one more year at BYU. And he's the guy to lead BYU into the Big 12 because that is a lot to ask a new quarterback to face. Off topic of this, but something that you just touched on, you know, we're getting to the end of April now. May is going to be here very, very quickly. We're going to probably have a good idea in the next probably, what, three to four weeks when that meeting happens in May with yes. all of the ADs, what that conference is going to look like. Yeah, sure. We're going to know in all likelihood within the next month. Well, BYU gets their first Big 12 schedule in October. In October. It's, it will be released in October. They will know the full 2023 schedule. Well, what we're going to know, the nine versus eight and what Love the divisions it. are, yes. who you're going to face every year and who you're going to face every other year. We should know the answers to that within the next month. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. A man who wanted to be on this show and frankly recently earned it is now joining us from San Francisco. His name is Josh Cowden of BYU Baseball. Josh, welcome to the show after a long wait for you, man. Great to have you with us. Well, thanks for letting me be on the show. It means a lot. I've been waiting for this, and you guys both know that. I've been waiting for this for a long time. So All it took was two home runs and an incredible throw from left field to gun down a runner at home plate. It was that simple, right? <laughs> yeah, that simple. No, seriously, yeah, that simple, but... When did you first express an interest to Jason Shepard that you wanted to be on BYU Sports Nation? Uh, I want to say last year. It was, yeah, I want to say last year, like maybe at the end, I was just like, like, Shep, I want to be on the show. Like, I need to start doing better. I can be on the show. And he's like, all right. He's like, yeah, just do good. That simple. And yeah, well, you're in the show. I was like, all right. And then this year, I was like, hey, like, I'm trying to be on the show this year. He's like, I know. I'm like, okay, we'll see what happens. And then, uh, I think it was after my first home run. He's like, hey, he's like, maybe one more. You could be on the show. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then that happened. And then he looked at me. He's like, he's like, you might be on the show. And I was like, all right. <laughs> hey, leave, a great guy. Leaving no doubt, man. Okay. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of baseball, I do need to ask you about your relationship with Jason Shepard. 
What is Shep's presence like in the BYU dugout during the games? <laughs> no, his vibe is good. He's always, I mean, he's at the end of the dugout, of course, but like he's always just down there. Like I go down there a lot, talk to him. Like he's just always talking to everybody. Like his vibe is always so positivity. Like he's just always smiling. It's just like, dude, you're always smiling. It's just like, come on. So no, great guy. Well, you're so, already out in San Francisco. You told us it's a little bit cold out there in San Francisco. You're hoping it warms up a little bit, but talk to us about the series this weekend, what the matchup looked like. Yeah. So um, San Fran, I think they're in sixth place. I think we're in the seventh. So I think the series is very important for us. Um, we don't really know much about them yet. The scout report usually comes out right before we go to the field, but I mean, we know that they're the solid teams, so it'd be a good series though. How do you handle the pressure of knowing that you got to finish in the top six to make the West Coast Conference postseason tournament and you're just on the outside looking in at a team like San Francisco? So what's that pressure and urgency like in your mind and how do you handle it? Um, you know, for pressure, I feel like just for us as a team, I feel like we can't really think like that in a way. Like we're just taking it like, you know, game by game. So I feel like that's just very important for us is like game by game. And, you know, just taking it like that, because I feel like if we start thinking about, like, how we're in seventh place, you know, this is like, like, we know it's important. So, like, I just feel like taking that um, game by game is, like, very important for us. So, What has the adjustment been like from Littlewood to Pratt so far? Is that adjustment period over? Have you guys adjusted to that change? Yeah, so for the adjustment, we, I mean, the day that uh, we heard, you know, um, that was happening, we were all shocked of course. So like, um, it was hard at first, but you know, Trent sat us down and was just like, listen, like this can go two ways. You know, they can like, we can like, you know, be sad and like, you know, uh, worry about it or we can just like go play baseball, you know? And that was like the turning point. I feel like for us was like, we know Trent, you know, loves us and cares about us. So it was like, um, at first it was hard, but like now it's just like, we're just playing baseball and that's just the, like the most important thing is winning, winning games and playing baseball. So Josh Cowden of BYU Baseball is with us on BYU Sports Nation. The Batcats getting set for a huge three-game series with San Francisco this weekend. Josh, let's look into your history a little bit and how you ended up at BYU. Obviously, you were an outstanding high school baseball star. You had several options. Why was BYU the right pick for you in that moment? Um, the coaching staff. I think this coaching staff really cares about me. And, I mean, I've always wanted to go to BYU because I'm from here. So I'm like – I feel like BYU is always the place and just like, of course, the church. And I think the, the coaching staff really just like impacted who I wanted to be in life. So you got about a month left or just over a month left. As you look at the scoreboard and the standings, are you guys watching those closely? How much are you paying attention to that as a team? Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of. I mean, yeah, I feel like you have to in a way to know. But um, like I said, I just feel like for us as a team, I feel like it, it, we just like, you know, just like stay with us and just um, take it game by day. Um, it's very important for us. So it's like we know that we have to win series. So like that's a, like the most important thing the next four weeks is just to win the series. So, Josh, I want to rewind to a moment in the game on Tuesday night against Utah Valley where a ball got away from you in left field and you were visibly upset. But then you bounce back with an incredible throw home. Again, you gun down that runner. You go on to hit two home runs. So was an error required to send you next level? Is, is that what needs to happen? Yeah, no, I wish. I, I clearly remember that play. I made that error. And then I remember looking at Mitch. And he's like, oh, my gosh, dang it. And he's like, hey, that's okay. You hit a home run. You're probably going to hit another one or something like that. And I was like, 
no he's like yeah you'll probably hit another one run i was like dude so and then i of course the bullpen was like chirping at me they're like making fun of me <laughs> and then after i walked back out there and they were like like yeah we knew that was gonna happen so no it was it was fun but no that it was fun so what's that team dynamic like how would you explain the byu baseball atmosphere and team dynamic right now um the positivity is unreal just like everybody like we just know that like whoever's in the starting lineup they're gonna do it and then whoever's gonna step up that day like um coming in the game like everybody believes in each other like they know they're gonna do it so like we all know that we have each other's backs so i just feel like the positivity and like the energy and everything it's just it's been great so who on this team as you tell us about the team dirt on this team who's the goofiest and maybe the most serious on the team Goofiest, um, gosh, probably Boston. Um, that kid is something else sometimes. And I don't know, just because he's a redhead, not, no offense to like redheads. But he's just, <laughs> and then um, serious, ah, that's a tough one. Uh, I want to say maybe Colin. Colin sometimes when he's in the zone, he's in the zone. So when he focuses up, he focuses up. So probably Colin. Hey, as a so, catcher, that's okay. Like you you kind of got to be in the zone to be an elite-level catcher for sure. And he was with you hitting the home run at Utah Valley on Tuesday. Have any of your teammates surprised you this season, maybe from the younger pack? Like, which of your younger teammates have you been like, whoa, you're a good player, and you're stepping up as a really young guy? Um, yeah, I think Colin. For example, uh, Ozzy Pratt. I feel like um, he just uh, took the spot and ran with it since uh, Andrew got hurt. So I feel like Ozzy really stepped up, and I feel like he's been a key key player for us this year. I feel like he's helped us a lot in winning games on defense and offense. So I feel like um, in, even for the pitching staff, I feel like um, Kiesel, I feel like as a freshman, like he's really stepped up. So. And as you look at coming off that really big game, um, playing well yourself, I want to know what's your personal goal with just the season remaining and games remaining? What are you looking to accomplish as a player? Yeah, um, you know, the season's been, for me, a little ups and downs. But And, guys, I think I figured out why ups and downs. Okay. So, yeah, so if you can tell, I'm almost, it looks like I'm balding, but I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Y'all got buzz cuts. So I feel like after the buzz cut, that's when it kind of went ups and downs. Because I had long hair. <laughs> like, it was the long hair that was doing it for me. So I'm just like. <laughs> Praying that my hair starts to grow faster. Roll it but, out, Josh. Roll it, it out. Change it up. I need to change it up. But no, um, for me, honestly, it's just like staying with my approach and getting like honestly just having fun with it. I feel like like for my goals and stuff, I feel like right now they don't really matter for me in a way. I'm just trying to win because that's just the most important thing for us. I feel like it's just winning because like we want to make it to the conference tournament and then we want to see how far we can go after that. So but no, I just think staying with it for me is just like game by game. So, Josh Cowden, BYU baseball left fielder, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. How did you choose your walk up song? First of all, for those that don't know, what is your walk up song and how did you choose it? Uh, so it's kidding, sitting on my back. I, uh, I had it, I think, my freshman year in high school. And honestly, like, I did pretty good my freshman year in high school. So, like, I just stayed with it the whole time. And I was okay. just like, you know what? Maybe the song. So, yeah. Well, that leads me to my next question. That's a perfect segue. Superstitions. Okay. Obviously, that song gave you some mojo. What other superstitions do you buy into within the very intricate game of baseball? 
good question. So yeah, for me, I feel like putting on my uniform is a big deal. So I feel like like putting on my socks, like my right sock foot, uh, and then my left. I feel like that's very important. Stuff like that. So, yeah, I love it. Are baseball players just super OCD? Because I can relate to that. Is that what it comes down to? So yeah, I want to say I think so. So I don't know why. <laughs> Great stuff, man. All right, we're going to give you some BYU Sports Nation karma right now. You know how it works. You come on the show, you play well. You've already been crushing it, quite literally, on Tuesday. So enjoy playing well in the series against San Francisco. And just maybe the karma helps that hair grow faster so you can get the Samson strength back. Is that fair? Yeah, that works. Thank you. That means a lot. All right, man. Hey, next time, let's do it in studio, okay? Yeah, I would love that. I'm grateful uh, you guys let me come on the show, so thank you. You got it. Yep. Good to have you. Josh Cowden of BYU Baseball with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, love the clarity and the honesty. Just The hair. Exactly. <laughs> like, Change I need my hair up. to grow faster. It really messed me up. I've wanted to be on the show since last year. I love, love it. Love that. Love it. Keep it up. It's awesome. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Some fresh news here. USC has announced that it has replaced its 2023 game against BYU with a game versus San Jose State. They don't want the BYU smoke! Okay, meaning that's another 2023 game that has been canceled in preparation for the Big 12 schedule. Spencer, is it disappointing to see that Trojans game gone at this point? No, not not in the least, Kristen. Why? give you a couple of reasons. One, BYU's won the last two games against USC. So the Trojans, We're going they've, got to, they've got to deal with that. Yeah. Back-to-back losses to yeah. BYU. I want to keep that streak right. rolling so that we can have the, it's been 7,000 days since <laughs> USC beat BYU. Okay. Number two is BYU already has Tennessee and Arkansas on the 2023 schedule. <laughs> so if BYU plays a nine-game Big 12 schedule, well, there are nine power fives, add Tennessee and Arkansas, okay, that's 11 Power 5 games yeah, in a season. And then we've got Southern Utah on the schedule. I'm guessing Utah State's going to go away. No, USC needed to go away. Like, it's already murderer's row in terms of opponents. Right. As much as you want all Power 5 schools to be on their schedule, that they need a break. Yes. Let's consider this a tender mercy for BYU. Trojans don't want the smoke. <laughs> it's going to end up on some USC board. Like, look at this clown. All right, Chris. <laughs> The latest post-spring top 25 from 24-7 sports has BYU football at number 14. It's the highest preseason projection ranking we've seen thus far. Will we see BYU football ranked 14th or higher at any point in the approaching season in the AP poll? Yes. I'm confident really? in that because they're going to win games, and they're going to go to Vegas, a neutral site, and they're going to beat Notre Dame. Wow. It's going to jump higher than 10. Feeling good. You have a couple alert. of huge pair, Blue right? Yeah, I'm not Tristan. The okay, big now you're not putting on the uh, the Jerem specials. Okay. <laughs> How does that the schedule look? Doesn't the schedule look fantastic through those? Yes. Uh, Kristen. Top ten. That's you know what? Saying. Well, here's what's wild. Depending on where BYU starts in the AP poll in the preseason, we think that it's going to be somewhere between 21 and 25. Sure. If they beat South Florida, and then they beat Baylor at home. Baylor's number eleven in this post spring poll. It might just Those take. Are, it might only take two games for BYU right. to get to number four. Maybe you don't even have to get to that Notre Dame game. You beat Baylor early. There we go. We're rolling. 
All right, this tweet caught our eye from a Kansas football fan at K, or excuse me, at 5Q Kansas mm-hmm. says, this year in 2025, BYU and Kansas are playing in the Big 12 championship. What? To see who will make it in the college football playoff. Bookmark this tweet. Uh, huh? Is this a bold prediction or soon to be freezing cold take? Uh, Kristen, I think that this person may have um, inadvertently ingested something that's impairing their judgment. <laughs> <laughs> That's As, a very bold tweet. Yeah, this isn't Big 12 basketball. Right. Like, it's right. one thing to say, hey, Kansas is going to be in the Big 12 basketball. Sure, yeah, they'll probably be there. BYU and Kansas football? Uh, this is this is beyond bold. This is insane. That's an insane yeah. prediction. Very, very cold. And and I think this is 2025. This will be the third season that BYU is in the Big 12. They're going to need more time to adjust and get the players to compete at that level. Hey, listen, we'll have that 5Q Kansas on the show. Let's if see. they call that, we'll, we'll get them on the show. Yeah, CBS okay. Sports had a draft of the top stadium anthems. Music, Kristen, I know it's your jam. They had Seven Nation Army as their number one pick. What would be your number one stadium anthem? Okay, Serenade you. you in a game. Welcome to the jungle. Love by it. Guns and Roses. Mm-hmm. All right. And then We Will Rock You by Queen. Fantastic. They're always staples. Great picks. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, the Chicago Bulls pregame theme, the Alan Parsons Project. Pretty good. Is my number one stadium anthem. And then uh, a little bit off the radar, uh, Bulls on Parade. Yeah, by Rage Against All the right. Machine. I have the Tiger. Throw that in there as well. Okay. All right. Speaking of number one draft picks, who would be your number one all-time BYU draft pick? Come on. I got to go with my guy Steve Young. NFL MVP, pro football, Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champ. Come on, Steve Young. Steve Young right, is my guy, number I'm, one pick overall. I'm going to match that. Jim McMahon, the Ooh, overall pick. Another Super Bowl champ. Also another Super Bowl champ. Uh-huh. Uncle Glenn, you might be upset at that pick. <laughs> but Glenn did play with both. So. Yes, he did. Glenn made. Glenn would tell you that he made both quarterbacks yes, better. exactly. Like, they did what they did because I was they awesome. They wouldn't get there without Glenn. Sure. <laughs> Throw him in the mix. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. We are so excited for our next guest, Senior Associate Athletic Director, Liz Darger. Now, Liz, you are an extremely busy woman, and yet not only are you here on set with us, but you found time to somehow come early. I mean, how do you manage your time? There is no way that I would miss this. You know what they say, (laughs) if you want something done well, you put the Relief Society in charge. Right. And so there was no (laughs) way I was going to miss this. There you go. From making the food, from being on task, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Completely agree. All right. You're the Senior Associate Athletic Director, the Senior Woman's Advisor here at BYU. How would you describe those roles? What does that entail for you here at BYU? Uh, how long's your show? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be brief. Uh, there, there are a couple different aspects to, to, to my job. One of them is to be a sport administrator for a number of our, our men's and women's sports. Uh, and then in addition to that, I oversee a lot of the internal operations of the department. And so the senior associate athletic director, that's the job title. The senior woman administrator, that's actually an NCAA designation that's given to the, the, the highest ranking woman in, in every athletic department in the country. And with that comes some responsibilities directly from the NCAA, um, one of them being to help keep an eye on gender equity. Now, the highest-ranking woman in the athletic department. What experience and how did what experiences do you have, and how did you get to this point where you are now? I, I kind of had an interesting journey. I, I went here as an undergrad at BYU, didn't play sports here, uh, but but 
played a lot of intramurals and watched a lot of watched a lot of great career sports and then uh, went into high school coaching and did that that for a, a, a long time and was a high school counselor really loved that also coached club basketball and then uh, coached at the division one level at Utah Valley University for six years and then moved over here into administration so Tom Holmo took a big chance on me bringing me over directly from coaching uh, but uh, I've absolutely loved it just finishing up my seventh year here uh, and really along the way in my career it's been as a result of nudges from a lot of great women and men that have nudged me to, to get out of my comfort zone and try things that I wasn't sure that I could do. Uh, and it's turned out really well for the most part along the way. So I'm, I'm really grateful and, and I try and do the same and nudge, especially young women and young men as well, along as you see potential in them to make sure to tell them that and uh, because I've been a product of the nudges of others. Sure. I think you've done a fantastic job here as I've worked here for now 16 years, a lot of those years being alongside you and some of the other females in this BYU program, but as you look at the different hats that you wear, and we talked a little bit about it, but you also, you're involved in a lot of different things where student-athlete welfare, the gender equity, and the campus Title IX liaison. Tell us how that has been to support the female athletes in this program and where you've seen the growth come. It's been wonderful. You look at, at programs across the country and, and BYU Women's Athletics, has been strong for so long. You you mentioned uh, just in the earlier segment all these these great women that have really paved the way. But we are in this moment right now of success of women's athletics that is so fun to be a part of. And so really, as I liaison with different areas of campus and as I liaison and represent BYU around the country, it's just really fun. And uh, it just makes me proud to be able to represent our female student athletes, uh, our, our coaches of our, our women's teams. Uh, I, I love it because people see the great things that are happening on the court, on the field, um, but also the great things happening in the classroom, in the community. And so it's, it's, it's really easy to represent them because they are all, they're representing all of us so well. A lot of growth, but as, you, as you've looked at the Title IX, what's been the biggest issues maybe that you face to being that liaison? So I, I feel like with, um, with gender equity, and, and I think your, your segment with Tegan was, was really great. She's done a lot of great work. When Title IX was passed, just, uh, you know, in 1972, it really did increase the opportunities for, uh, for women in terms of participating in athletics. And we, we saw that at BYU in terms of um, better funding and opportunities, uh, but there are still some gaps in terms of uh, how the how funding happens and and treatment of of, of of women's athletics. And so those are areas where where across the country we still see some of those uh, those inequities. And, and at BYU we're we're doing a lot to to put in resources to make sure that that our our men and our women student athletes feel they have everything they need to be successful. And so I, I really feel like we're doing a, a, a great job. And and there are areas that we can improve as well to to make sure that again. And every single student athlete here feels they have all the resources they need to be successful. In terms of those areas, where do you think the biggest potential is for growth in regards to Title IX? You know, I think there'll be some interesting things as we transition to the Big 12. There'll be a lot of changes um, just in, in terms of even things like how we how we travel. Our travel will be very different. In the West Coast Conference, a lot of our travel's been to California. Now we'll be going all over the Midwest and and, uh, and out east. Uh, and so we'll be we'll be looking at things of how we can make sure that we um, that we provide a travel experience for our student-athletes that, that is conducive to them missing the least amount of class, traveling in, in, in comfort to where they can be ready to go to be successful on the court, on the field. Um, and also in the classroom. And so, so that's an area that we're examining, and it's a perfect time going to the Big 12 anyway to examine those things across our teams. Um, it, you know, Tegan talked a little bit about putting in resources and how we promote our teams, and so there, there are things there. We've, we've seen so much success with, uh, particularly recently with women's volleyball, women's soccer, and, and how much fans have gotten behind those programs, and we've seen it this year with women's basketball increasing. Uh, gosh, I hope people have come out to watch women's softball. They are, they are just such a successful program. Uh, women's uh, track and cross-country, women's 
women's tennis, women's golf. I mean, it goes on and on and on how our programs are doing. And so as we put in resources to uh, help fans know about our programs and, and tell those stories, then, then we find that fans follow suit and they come and they want to support our, our women and they want to uh, get to know them better. So uh, back when I played, I would have loved to have those uh, chartered flights. That would have been huge <laughs> for me. I'm just saying. But as you've worked with different coaches and different um, females in the program with BYU, different athletes, what's been some of your favorite moments in working with these female athletes? Oh, goodness, there are so many of them. And I, I, I would say something from the past year that was really neat was, was just being a part of women's soccer and that great run to the national championship game. Something that was neat to see about it was you talked about Jen Rockwood and you talked about uh, she started this program. And so to watch her and to be a teammate with her as she went through the season and then the NCAA tournament and getting to the College Cup and getting to the national championship game was just remarkable and so fulfilling. Uh, but then also these student-athletes. And this crop of student athletes, they have been through COVID. They've been through a couple of really rocky, rough years. And so then to watch our women's soccer team come out of it so successfully uh, to rally around, we, you know, we had, we had 18 year olds that had just graduated from high school and we had, you know, 23 year olds that were in their sixth or seventh year of eligibility. And to watch those women gel together toward a common goal uh, and to watch Cougar Nation rally around them. Oh, that was, that was, I mean, I don't know that that will be topped. And then obviously we've had national championships. So watching, you know, Whitney, Whitney Orton and watching, um, you know, women's cross country a couple of years ago, watching, you know, last year with, with Courtney and, um, and with Anna, there, there have just been so many highs, so many highs. But really, for me, it's when you can combine watching the highs of them being successful in their sport, but then also seeing them just absolutely uh, just nail it in terms of life and academics, where they are living great lives and they are healthy and happy and, uh, and living lives of meaning. So to see all of that wrapped into these great student athletes, for me, that's that's the that's the pinnacle it's great to hear your perspective from your role and the support that you give them we've talked about so many different hats you wear but you're also west coast conference on the west coast conference executive council wcc championship in sport administration cabinet ncaa common ground leadership team you do so many things what are you as you look at all these different positions what is it about you do that about what you do that makes you really proud you know that's a that's a hard question uh because really, it, it's 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 really not about about me at all. It's about these incredible people that I get to associate with, and so as I as I look at all the different roles, I just feel a lot of gratitude that I get to interact with um, just remarkable people at every turn, and that starts with our student athletes. They are truly. Just, I am so impressed with them. These are young people that are balancing so many things, and they do it with such grace. And so to be able to be a part of their journey, I just uh, feel gratitude and feel really humbled by that. And then to work with our coaches and work with our – we have so many – remarkable coaches that are leading great programs, and then all the employees that are behind the scenes that Cougar Nation doesn't really hear about. Um, to be able to just rub shoulders with them, uh, I, just, I just feel absolute gratitude. And I, and I think any pride that comes um, is, is really in just seeing, um, seeing these student-athletes really live out their dreams um, and, 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 and maybe you know, thinking that maybe had some tiny part in, in helping give them support or encouragement along the way. But really, it's about them, not, not about me. Absolutely. And it's so fun for us, too, just to watch them and the success of these women's programs. And we thank you for everything you do. You're on our legacy list. You are. You're on our legacy list. You are on there. As an interview, too. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Liz. We appreciate you taking time to join us. Way to make history. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. I love making history. history. Absolutely. Thank you. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. 
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. I'm really coming off as the get-off-my-lawn guy today. (laughs) All right, man alive. All right, was the fact that no running backs were drafted a good or bad thing for BYU's Tyler Algier? Uh, I don't think that I put too much stock into the idea that, oh, man, like there were no running backs taken in the first round, so he's going to slide all the way down. Running backs are a different beast in the NFL now. Mm -hmm. Um, I expect a bunch to go in the second and third rounds. So first round, whatever. Um, If there are a few running backs taken in the second and third rounds, that's when I need to be concerned. But right now, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I'm I'm ultimately, I don't think it's good or bad. I'm somewhat indifferent on it for a lot of the reasons that you said. But also, if you look at some of the best running backs in the NFL right now, most of them are second, third, fourth, even fifth or sixth round guys. I just don't think it matters as much anymore. You don't have to get a running back in the first round anymore to get production and to be able to win games in the NFL anymore. I think Tyler's still pacing for a mid-fourth round That's uh, Look, t- today's the day, though, where you start paying attention. Third round, third to fifth, that's that's the area where he's going to be drafted. ESPN college football analyst Trevor Maddich comes in at number 49 on the top 100 best media personalities in college football list from Big Game Boomer. And for the record, he's tied to BYU because he's always on BYU Sports Nation. Yeah. Okay. Do you think he should be higher or better ranked on that list? Look, I do. Now, I... I Granted, we're going to be biased because we know him, we like him, he's he's a former Cougar, he joins the show all the time. I also think he's really, really good at yes. what he does. So honestly, I would have had him higher than that. Well, they got Reese Davis at number 25, which I think is just an abomination. That's way too low for Reese. So Reese is way too low, Trevor's way too low. I'd probably put Trevor in the top 25 and Reese somewhere up in the top 10. Oh, Reese Davis Come on easily now. in the top 10. That's yes. not even in question in my mind. All right, Ashley Hatch has six goals in the Challenge Cup, leading the NWSL. She led the league in the regular season last year. How long do you think she can continue her reign as the scoring queen of the NWSL? Well, I think it's going to last at least through this year. So it's going to be two years running, maybe three. There's a reason that she's competing for the United States women's national soccer team. Like, she's going to be in the World Cup, Jason, representing BYU. Yeah. So this reign that she's having scoring goals, it's it's going to last through this year. It'll be at least two years. And who knows? Why not? Why cap it there? Why not go three years in a row? Look, I'm not putting a cap on this at all. She is one of the best former Cougars in the pros. Her career probably hasn't even scratched the surface on what she can do, not just in the NWSL, but with Team USA and everything moving forward. So I'm not going to say that there is a top to this at all. Jason, Jerry Bohannon, the Baylor quarterback has entered the transfer portal. Does this essentially guarantee a BYU victory over Baylor when the Bears make the return trip to Provo early next season? You know, Spencer, I'm going to need a guarantee. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't guarantee anything. I think what uh, what you should be hanging your hat on is the fact that Jared Hall is back. Yes. This game is in Provo, and BYU knows what happened in Waco, and they want an opportunity to rectify it. Yes. That's what should give you more hope than the fact that uh, Jerry, don't call me Gary Bohannon. Sure. <laughs> Shout out to Parks and Rec. Yes. I know you know. Uh, no, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it does make BYU's chances better, certainly. Yeah. If you have the quarterback matchup head-to-head and it's clearly advantage BYU and you're at home, 
yeah, it, it helps. Okay, this one, speaking of Baylor, Baylor football sent a gift for BYU football, and it's the stretch Y with the Big 12 logo piece that they had displayed when BYU went to Baylor last year. This was actually in the uh, the broadcast booth, yeah. which is really, and apparently they do that for all the visiting teams that come into town. What should BYU's return gift to Baylor be? How about a big old L when they play each other in football? Well, that's not being nice. <laughs> now, I granted, I hope that they do get the L, but that's... Okay, fine. It seems a little petty and vindictive, but BYU's already given Baylor the gift. It's Caleb Lohner. Like, they've, it's, the gift has already been given, Jason. Uh, I didn't want to give that one away either. Yeah. Uh, what, what should we give them? Like a gift? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a gift card to Maverick or something? <laughs> Get him like a gift card. Hey, thanks for this super nice framed picture of the Big 12. Here's a Maverick gift. A proclamation to the family. How about that? We give him a, one of those. Say, that might resonate. They're a religious school. That's what I'm saying. Okay. But by the way, <laughs> really disappointed that, that that logo in the Big 12, the, the piece of art, which I like to call it, that did not end up at my house because I would put that up in a second. Jason, did you know that the Big 12 logo has been in Studio B since the inception of this show on television? Do you know it's been in my heart my entire it life? It has. It has. Okay. Yeah, a little, little Easter egg back here. <laughs> it's been here since 2014. We're just, we're just foreshadowing things that are going to happen. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast Every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.